welcome Doug Watson to our platform. Well, thanks so much, Daryl. I appreciate that. And uh, I just want to tell you right off, you got two great pastors here. And I probably don't need to tell you that because you know that. But I've really enjoyed getting to know Steve, you know, and Daryl and just connecting with them. And they're just such a blessing there. And their wives are great too. Uh, I was on a committee, a CBOQ committee. I was so lost when I walked in. Two ladies knew exactly what they were doing. They'd been there for like 30 years. I came onto this nominating committee. I only knew two names in all of the area. And uh, God bless Heather, she was on that committee, and her and I just kind of were the newbies on that, so we kind of walked through that. What a great worship team. Boy, I tell you, I really enjoyed that. And I just sang my favorite song. You know what I love about a worship team? And uh, you know what? They play, they do a great job, but when they sing along, and you see they enjoy that. And I just saw that in their face, and I thought, what a great job, and I just really enjoyed that. So thank you so much. Uh, thanks for having me here. So my name is Doug Watson. Born and raised in Sarnia, just down the road. So that's kind of my roots. Dad and mom were uh, in Sarnia, Jim and Helen Watson. Dad and mom just passed away uh, last year. In fact, it was about a year ago that mom passed away. Mom was 92. And then dad, three weeks later, passed away at 94. And um, so, you know what, it was hard to say goodbye, but they both love the Lord and they're with the Lord, so we're thankful for that. So I have uh, two sisters and a brother, and uh, so uh, that's kind of a bit about my family. My, um, I grew up there in Sarnia, went to school, worked at Suncor as a process operator, and then felt the call of God in my life. Went to Moody Bible Institute in Chicago. There's where I met my wife. My wife's an American. Um, you know what I found? Canadians and Americans are a bit different. You know what? I, like I just find sometimes Americans are a bit bolder. Don't you sense that? Like they're a bit bolder. You know, and we're a bit laid back. And uh, she looked at me and she said to me one time, you know, we just didn't know each other that well, but she said, you look like my fourth boyfriend. <laughs> I thought that was kind of bold to say that. So I asked the question we most asked, how many have you had? She said three. So I knew I was in trouble with that. <laughs> um, I met my wife, Lori. Lori's family's from Chattanooga, Tennessee. We have two children. My daughter's name is Libby. She works in Georgia and uh, down in the state of Georgia, and she works with child care down there. And she goes into fostering homes, and uh, she does that. Uh, we have a granddaughter, and that's changed my life. And she's a year and a half old, and we just love her to death. My son is Brady. We named him Brady Michael Watson. He's our BMW, closest thing I'll ever get to a BMW. And, uh, but Brady works for the Nashville Predators, and he works on the ice. So he went down there about a year and a half ago, works for the Predators. And uh, so... Uh, that's just a bit about him. Started my ministry in Windsor, Walkerville Baptist Church. Was there about a year. Come back to my home church in Sarnia, Temple Baptist Church, and was there 11 years as youth pastor. Then moved up to Barrie, to Willow Creek Baptist Church in Midhurst. I was there 11 years. And then I went to Emmanuel for eight years in Exeter. And I was there eight years. And now I've been four and a half years at First Lobel Baptist Church. So I started really in the fellowship for 30 years, and then I've kind of moved into the uh, uh, CBOQ and have really enjoyed that, and just getting to know you a bit, it'll be great. So thank you for having me here today. I really do count it a privilege and a joy to be with you today. I want to just share with you just, um, just maybe something from my heart, and we're, we're, we're kind of tracking, I know, in my life, in our church's life, and I'm sure maybe you as well, but it's when life turns sideways. Boy, it doesn't take much, does it, for life to turn sideways? 
what, a year and a half ago, there was a fellow on staff, Bruce Lively. Bruce Lively was at our church. He was on staff for 11 years, 52 years old. Went to the doctor because he wasn't feeling well. He had some symptoms that he knew. Maybe something wasn't right. Went to the doctor. They did the test. They came back to him at 52, said, you have one year to live. You have stage four bowel cancer, and in one year you will die. They said, there's no treatment we can do for your palliative, they said. And a year later, he died. That's good. Like it turned our world upside down. He was a man that was very much involved in the church. He just had a passion for God, passion from the church. You know, he was kind of in the heart and soul in the sense of people. He just loved people. He was very musical. Him and his wife did the music ministry. Their kids were involved. And it's just like the bottom fell out. And I want to talk to you a bit about the struggles we have in life. In Matthew chapter 7, the Bible says, and Jesus said this, the wise man built his house upon the rock, and the foolish man built his house upon the sand. And when the storms come, not if the storms come, but when the storms come, the house on the rock stood firm and the house on the sand was destroyed. Now we know when we read that passage and we understand pretty quickly that the house on the rock is being built on Jesus Christ and the foundation of Christ and Christ alone. So we know that from the passage and the teaching of Christ. But here's the question is, what does that look like? What does that mean? What are some of the principles surrounding that? And what I want to do today is I want to take you to an Old Testament passage that maybe we'll have to dust off some of those pages. And I love the Old Testament. I love going back to that. But in 2 Chronicles, and we're going to kind of land at chapter 20. But before we get there, I just want to talk to you a bit about the nation of Israel. The nation of Israel at one time was united. And, and we see some of the kings that, that were involved with that. We see Saul for 40 years, and David for 40 years, and Solomon for 40 years. And the 12 tribes, those 12 families, were united. They were one nation. And then after Solomon's death, there was a division. There was a division. They just couldn't get along. It's not unusual. Hey, eh? we have that today. They had that back then. They couldn't get along. So 10 of the tribes went, and they congregated together, and they united together, and they were called the Northern Kingdom. They called themselves Israel. And if you look at Israel, they were kind of, took the northern area. They had 10 tribes. It was by far the largest group. And then two tribes, just a small, they called them a remnant group. And they went to the southern kingdom. They called themselves Judah, and their capital was Jerusalem. Nobody ever thought on paper that Jerusalem would ever last more than a year. I mean, they were small. They were insignificant. They couldn't fight their way out of a wet paper bag. I mean, there was no way that they would survive. But it's interesting that as God's plan, the northern kingdom were 250 years, but there wasn't one king that followed God. There wasn't one king that followed God. And God had said to them in a covenant, the Abrahamic covenant, and if you look at the covenants in the Bible, there's two types of covenant. There's conditional covenants and unconditional covenants. A conditional covenant means there's conditions put on that. You do this, I'll do that. Unconditional is one that God says, I'll just do it. So the Noahic covenant that God made that he would never send a storm, never send rain and flood the earth is a unconditional. God says, you know what? I'm not going to ever send that storm again. I'll never send all of that rain and kill the people in that way. And that was a promise. It doesn't matter what we do. There's no conditions attached to it. But an unconditional one was God that said, I will give you the promised land. I'm going to give you this land, but let me tell you something. If you don't obey me, I'm going to take it away. Now, we understand that because remember back when you started to drive? 
Remember when you started to drive? Or you remember when your kids started to drive? We all have this talk, don't we? Let me tell you, son, I just want to, I want to go over this with you. You can drive now, you can drive without dad, you can drive without mom, but let me tell you something. That car belongs to who? It belongs to us. Let me get the ownership out. Whose name's on that ownership? Dad, it's your name. Yes, that's right. It's my name. And your mother and I, we own the car. And, and if you obey the rules, you look after the car, you can drive the car. But if you misuse it and you speed and you get tickets and you abuse it, guess what? We're taking it away from you. And we've all had it, right? I mean, I had it, where I did some stupid things, and, and, and I didn't have the privilege of a car for a week or a month or whatever it might be, because I just didn't do what they wanted me to do. And, and I had my kids the same way. It's funny how, I just said, it's funny how kids kind of get it. We went away, and I said to my son, now listen, we're going away, your mother and I, for a week to Florida. You're here. I want you to fill the car up with gas. It's full when you got it. I want it to be full when you get back. So sure enough, my son filled it up when we got back. He took me aside and said, Dad, I need to talk to you for a minute. I said, okay. Do you know how much it costs to fill that car? Do you know how much it costs to fill that car? He said, I put $40 in it to fill that car. We've got to cut down on our trips. And we can't be driving like we've been driving and driving all over the place. He got it. He understood it. It finally clicked in with it. But that's what the Bible talks about with those covenants, those promises. God said, I'll give you the land. But let me tell you something. If you disobey me, if you walk away, I'm going to take it away. And for 250 years, the northern kingdom didn't have one king, didn't have one person that followed God. And God took the land away. And he brought in this northern kingdom called the Assyrians, who were the superpower, and he brought them in. And the Assyrians were very smart because they knew how to destroy a nation. So what they did was, was they took and they dispersed people. They knew the Jewish people were very connected in their family. So he would take this family and he would move them over to this part and this one to this city and that family there to this city. And he moved them all around and they intermarried and they're called the Ten Lost Tribes today. They never came back to their land. They're referred to as the Ten Lost Tribes. The southern kingdom had some godly kings. They had some good godly kings and they had some real bad kings too. There was Jehoshaphat and there was Hezekiah who was a good king and Uzziah. And Josiah, and there were some of the kings that were good. And then there were some terrible kings as well. And then they lasted longer, they did. In fact, they lasted, I think it was 450 years that they ended up lasting. And the Babylonians came in and took them. And then the Medes and the Persians for 70 years. And then they ended up going back to the land and being reinstated in that land. And we read, you know, with Nehemiah and Ezra and some of those that eventually went back and they rebuilt the temple. And that's who kind of we see that line today with. So we want to go back and we want to look at the tribe of Judah. So we're looking at the small one. And we find right away that the third king of Judah was a guy by the name of Asa. Now I'll just highlight this and read these verses for you. But I want to talk to you about this just quickly. Asa was the father of Jehoshaphat. We're going to talk about Jehoshaphat. It said Asa did good in, in 2 Chronicles chapter 14, verse 2 and 4. It says Asa did good. He did right in the sight of God, and he commanded Judah to seek the Lord God, their father, and to obey all the laws that he had commanded. And so we see that Asa, his father, was a, a godly man. And I say that because now we come to Jehoshaphat in 2 Chronicles 17, verse 1. It says, Jehoshaphat also, his son, then became king in his place, and he made his position over all Judah first. He goes on to say, then the Lord was with Jehoshaphat. I said, because he followed the example of his father. 
David in the earlier days. He didn't seek the Baals, but he sought the God of his fathers, and he followed his commandments and did not act as Israel did. Here's what I just want to say about this. I think it's really important as parents, as grandparents, the influence we have on our kids is huge. It's absolutely huge. And you and I, as we sit here today, we realize. And you know, as men, as, as mothers, now I didn't say anything about Asa's, Asa's wife, but you know what? There's small chapters, and I'm sure she was right on board with this. But you know what? Raising godly kids is so important. And having an influence in them. And as we look at the life of Jehoshaphat, we realize that a big part of his life was really because of his parents. And probably his grandparents as well. Let's look at the passage we're going to look at today in 2 Chronicles chapter 20 is where we're going to land. 2 Chronicles chapter 20. And uh, I want to start in verse 20. And, uh, you know, there's a number of things that happen in Jehoshaphat's life. But let's just start in verse 20 and look at kind of just this part of his life. Now, it came about after this that the sons of Moab, the sons of Ammon, and together with those who were the Mennonites, came to make war against Jehoshaphat. Then some came and reported to Jehoshaphat, saying, A great multitude is coming against you from beyond the sea. Isn't it interesting that, that we see in this passage, even though Jehoshaphat was following God, that Jehoshaphat was worshiping God, the struggle came. Three large armies. Now, I'm not going to go into who these armies were, but I can just tell you that, you know what, they were huge. The Judah didn't have a chance. Judah didn't have a chance whatsoever. In our lives, we have those things that march against us. For you and I, maybe it's a, a phone call that we get. You know, do you ever get a phone call early in the morning? Do, you ever, do your phone ever go off in the morning or the night and you think, I don't even want to answer it because I'm afraid maybe what it might be. Sometimes you go into the doctor's office and he says, you know what, don't you, I get nervous and the doctor says, I need to see it and I need to see it right now. Okay. And you go in, and sometimes he sits you down, and he says, you know what, I hate to tell you this, but it's cancer, or it's, you know, whatever it might be, and fill in the blank. Maybe it's a mate that says, you know what, I'm done with the marriage, and it's divorce. Maybe it's mental illness that you wrestle with some of those things. Maybe it's the death of a loved one. Maybe it's the death of a child. Maybe it's a miscarriage. Maybe it's, you know what, you fill in the blank, but those things happen in our lives. And, and it can, our life can change in a minute. It can change in a minute. And all of a sudden we just find that, you know what, we're, we're, we're in a crisis. And we have this, this it's almost like an enemy that's coming against us. And isn't it interesting that Joseph had those, had those people that would come and continue to tell them, they're getting closer, they're getting closer. Have you ever notice they have people in your life? And I got people in my life sometimes, they love to tell me bad news. They just love to tell me bad news. I don't know what it is, you know what I mean? They just love to tell us bad news. Turn the... TV on and you see the news or you look at social media. They just love to tell you bad news, don't they? Just remind you and remind you. Remind you. This storm we were to have, good night. You know, they told us all the way from Tuesday. It's going to be so bad. And, you know, and, and they just like to kind of tell you some of those things. Look at, as he jumped down a little bit to some of the verses there, and it says that Jehoshaphat was afraid. He was afraid. Jehoshaphat was afraid. You know, I love you, but that's, that's refreshing. That's refreshing that here was a king that, that seemed to have it all together and he was afraid. I don't know you in your life, but there's times that I'm afraid. There's times that I have fear in my life. 
There's times that I just, I'm just not sure what to do. And you know what? That's okay. That's okay. Sometimes we're brought up in a culture that we say, don't ever be afraid. Don't let them ever see you cry. Don't ever let them see you being down. Don't ever let them see you being part of that. But you know what? Here Jehoshaphat was afraid. He had fear. But what's interesting, that as we see that, he didn't leave it there, though. It says, he turned his attention to seek the Lord. He turned his attention to seek the Lord. You and I can have fear, but we don't need to live in fear. We don't need to stay in fear. But rather, God's taken the fear away. And I love that, because you know what? It's a wonderful thing that when we read the psalm, Psalm 34, it says, I sought the Lord, and he heard me, and he what? He delivered me from all my fear. It doesn't say problems. We all have problems. We all have challenges. But he delivers us from our fear. Look at the 23rd Psalm. Yea, though I walk through what? The valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. And why? Because the Lord's with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest the table before me in the presence of my enemy. I was reading something on that, and I never realized this. But you know what that meant? Is, is if you look down in like Australia and New Zealand, they push the sheep. So they get the sheep in front of them, and they push the sheep. They drive the sheep. But in Israel, it's very different because the shepherd walks in front of the sheep and he leads the sheep and he knows them by name. And he calls them. Very different, eh? One's in front, one's behind. And he would bring, the shepherd would bring the sheep and he would find some green pasture. And when he finds some green pasture, he would stop the sheep. He'd get them all to lie down, get them all lying down. And then he would go out to this green pasture and make sure that it was safe for them to go. Because in Israel, there's asps that are poisonous snakes that would come up many times and they would bite the sheep and they would kill them. Very venomous snakes. And so what he would do is he would go and he would check and he would see if there was any holes. And if they were, sometimes he'd fill them. Sometimes they'd take oil and they would rub them in the hole. They'd take the oil and they'd rub it in the hole so that the snakes couldn't slither up. They kept sliding back down. And so he'd take the oil and he would take the oil and he'd kind of coat it so they couldn't come up. Sometimes he'd, he'd pack dirt on it. So they couldn't come up. And he'd get it all ready and he'd check it out and then he'd allow the sheep to come. That's a picture of our Lord and our Savior protecting and preparing for us a place. But we don't need to be afraid. We don't need to live in fear. But isn't our world want us to live in fear? Boy, I tell you, you see all the time all the things about fear. And you know what? Fear is a big thing too about selling things. I'm afraid of getting old, therefore buy this product. You know, I'm afraid of this, well, therefore get this. And sometimes we're driven by fear. Sometimes we live in fear. But here we find Jehoshaphat. He sought the Lord and he proclaimed a fast. He prayed. Boy, the power of prayer. Jesus, when he was on the earth, the disciples came and said, teach us to pray. Aren't you amazed at that? I don't know about you, but I'm amazed at that. I'm thinking this. I'm saying this. Can you teach me to walk on water? I'd like to do that. Can you teach me to raise the dead? You know that multiple thing you did and that multiplying with the food? Can you help me with my bank account with that? You know what? I'm, like just thinking of all the things he did. Can you teach us to speak like you do? Can you teach us to rebuke the religious leaders? Man, we'd love to do that. But they didn't ask any of, any of that. They said, teach us to pray. Why? Because I think if you look at the life of Christ, prayer was the key. Prayer was the key. 
And don't we, I, I would say in the disciplines as a pastor, as a believer in Christ, the, probably the discipline that I wrestle with is prayer. I just want to be honest with you. I don't pray enough. I, I don't spend enough time in prayer. And I don't know about you, but you ever do this? I get praying and I know what I want to pray and I get focused on it. And 10, 15 minutes in, I'm way over here thinking about what we're having for supper tonight. Or, or, you know, how the hockey game went. Like, you know, it is a discipline that we need to do more as all of us. And it's difficult. But I think Satan wrestles with us and struggles with that whole thing because that's where the battleground goes. Kind of as you move down in that passage, you realize, and I, and I love what it says as you kind of move down there in verse 6. And, and, and he goes on to pray. And I just want to share a few things. Verse 6, it says, and this is the way that, that Jehoshaphat prayed. And he prayed to all the people throughout all Judah, it says. Are you not the God in heaven? Are you not the ruler of all the kingdoms of the nation? He goes on to say, power and might are in your hand. So that no one can stand against you. Look at verse 7. Do you not? Did you not, our God, drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? You know, as you look back and you realize that those prayers are really talking about the sovereignty of God. Let me tell you something. God's in control. And when we look at these passages and we look at things to do, this is what happens. A plus B doesn't always equal C. When it comes to God, A plus B doesn't always equal C. For some, God heals. I've seen it, where God intervenes in people's lives and he heals them, and, and, and they're cured. I've seen that many, many times. For others, we pray and God doesn't heal them this side of glory, but he takes them home and he heals them there. But God always heals. God always does the right thing. But we base it on the sovereignty of God and what he does. My sister said to me, she had twin boys. My, my sister always wanted children. Of the four of us kids, my sister always wanted children. She had two little boys. They're cute little guys. She was a nurse. And she was feeding one, and she put one down, and she fed the other one. And the first one that she put down died of SIDS. She called my house, and I just got out of Bible school. Just got out of Bible school. I was only probably out for two or three years. She said, Doug, can you come over to the house? i got a question for you. I can go over to the house. Next day I didn't go over, and next day I didn't go over. My wife said to me, Doug, why aren't you going over the house? Your sister wants you to come over the house. Why don't you go over, Doug? What's the matter with you? I looked at my wife and said, I don't know how to answer her question. I, I don't know how to answer it. Because I know the question. You know the question. Why would God do this? Why would God do something like that? And i got to tell you, I wrestled with that. I just wrestled with that in my life. Why, why would God do that? I mean, I was up visiting a lady in a nursing home that day. And she said to me, Doug, I just wish I could die and go home and be with my Lord, with my family. I just wish God would take my life. And I'm thinking, God, like, couldn't you have kind of done that and not that? But I realized, you know what? God's sovereign. And that's where I kind of fell was, you know what? God is sovereign. God's in control. God says, my thoughts are not your thoughts. You know what I mean? And God goes on to say that. 
that God is in control. And you know what? I, I put stakes in my ground. You probably do this. I put stakes in the ground and I say, God, I see that and understand why that happened. And I understand why this happened. And I understand why this happened. But God, I don't understand why this happened. I don't, I don't get it. But you know what? I trust you. I trust you. So we have the sovereignty of God. And I, and I love that because you know what? Really, Jehoshaphat says there. You know, it's in your hands. You're the one that's in charge of the kingdoms and all of the nations. And he goes on to say, you know, oh Lord, you're the one that drove out the inhabitants of the land before your God. The people of Israel, and give the descendants of Abraham your friend. Abraham your friend. He went back to the Abrahamic covenant. You promised this. He didn't bring up the promises of God to remind him. He brought up the promises of God to claim the promises of God. Remember we used to sing that song, Standing on the Promises of God? You know what I mean? Remember we used to hold our Bibles up and knowing the truth to bring it before God. He was on to say, <clears throat> verse 9, before this house and before you, your name's on this house. And we cry to you in distress and you will hear and you will deliver us. What's the house? It's the temple of God. And Joseph said, you know what? Your name's on that temple. My name's not on that temple. Abraham's name's not on that temple. David's name's not on that temple. Solomon's name's not on that temple. Your name's on that temple. And if, and if they come in and destroy that temple, it's you and your name. So we stand here. And we believe in you. And you'll hear and you will deliver. And that's a beautiful prayer. And then he goes on to say in verse 12, and, and I love it because they paraphrase this, and I read it in one translation. It says, for we are powerless before this great multitude that's coming against us. We don't know what to do, but our eyes are on the Lord. The context of this is they get everybody together. And, and they're getting everybody together, and the king is going to say something. So people are all getting together. And we'll see that in the next verse. They're all getting together. And, and you know the guy that's a top guy. You always expect the answers, right? When you go to the doctors, you want answers. When you go to the specialists, you want more answers. But when you go, you want answers. So everybody said, okay, quiet. Everybody quiet. Quiet. Everybody quiet. Joseph's going to say something. We need to listen to what he's going to say. And he stands up and he says this. I have no power. I have no idea what to do. But my eyes are on the Lord. Don't you think you're nudging your wife saying, I was expecting more. Like we pay the guy this much, I was expecting more. Like can't we at least try to break out the swords? Can't we have a few maneuvers? Can't we just play dead? Can't we run? Can't we just do something? And yet Jehoshaphat said that. Verse 13, all Judah was standing before the Lord with their infants and their wives and their children. And then it says there in verse 14 that Jehazel, and it goes on to tell us a bit about him, who was a prophet. The Spirit of God came upon him. The Old Testament Spirit of God would come upon people, not like the New Testament where the Spirit of God lives within us. The work of the Holy Spirit was different. <coughs> and he says this. The prophet says, listen, verse 15, all Judah. The inhabitants of Jerusalem, the King Jehoshaphat. Listen, I want all of you to listen. Thus says the Lord to you. And I love this. Do not fear, don't be dismayed because of this great multitude for the battle is not yours but it is God's. Look at verse 17. You will not need to fight in this battle. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to station yourself and stand and see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf, O Judah and Jerusalem. And don't be afraid. Don't fear. Don't be dismayed for tomorrow I want you to go out and I want you to face them for the Lord is with you. Isn't that something? Don't be afraid. Don't fear. For I am with you. I don't even want you to fight. This isn't even your battle. Verse 18, Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground. And all Jude and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, they fell down before the Lord and they worshipped the Lord. 
Let me tell you something. There is a power in worship and praise. And isn't it amazing the battles we have over music and worship? My mother, who was in their 90s, I asked my mother this question. Mom, when you were growing up, did they have any battles with music? Oh, yeah, she said. We had many battles with music. When we were growing up, we had the Ira Sankey hymnal. And they decided to move from the Ira Sankey hymnal to the hymnal that we have with notes in it. I'm not kidding you. Notes in it. Yes. And they moved from the Ira Sankey book to the one that was a new hymn book with notes. People left the church. People walked away. Remember they used to have the, the on the walls, they used to have like, you know, the hymns they were doing, and they, they kind of had those up there. Well, they put two up there. They put the hymnal, but then they put the Iris Sankey. People went out and bought Iris Sankey and brought them. So they had both. Now, you know who the most spiritual one was? Obviously the Iris Sankey. And they would tell people that. What are you singing? Well, I have the hymnal. Well, we just are a cut above. I just want to tell you, we just are more in tune with God because we have the Iris Sankey. And we laugh at that, but you know what? Isn't it amazing how Satan gets us fighting with this? And you know what I learned over worship and music and all this stuff? It's not what I like, it's what God likes. It's not about me, it's about Him. It's not what pleases Doug Watson, it's what pleases the Lord. And you know what? The Lord loves music. And don't you find yourself singing songs? I don't know about you, but I'll go home and I'll be singing away probably some of the songs that we sang here, you know, in the car, in the shower, or wherever it might be. But I remember all those songs and the power of them. But there's a power of worshiping God. I would have thought the people would have went home and spent time together. Okay, everybody, you know what? Tomorrow's going to be a bad day. You know what I mean? It's going to be a tough day. I want you all to go home now. Not at all. But I want you to worship God. And they did it, it said, when they did that with a loud voice. And it was a loud voice, and they worshipped God from their hearts. And the Levites and the sons of cohorts were the ones that kind of led it with a very loud voice, it says, that they did that. So the next day they come, and we find this. In verse 21, Jude and the inhabitants of all Jerusalem, put your trust in the Lord, your God, and you'll be established. Put your trust in his prophets and succeed. Verse 21, and when he had consulted with the people, he appointed those who sang to the Lord and those who praised him in holy attire as they went out before the army and give thanks to the Lord. And they began singing and shouting, and the Lord set ambushes against them. And it was amazing what had happened, and God routed them. And what was really amazing was this, is when they went to fight, they put the musicians at the front. Who puts the musicians at the front? Who puts, when you're going out to fight, who puts the musicians at the front? You put them at the back. And you might not even invite the musicians. You just might leave them at home. But the musicians are not fighters. But they play instruments. But they're not fighters. And I can imagine they got it all lined up and someone said, who put the musicians at the front? Who did that? Anybody knows the musicians never go to the front, but they go to the back. But in God's work, what did he do? He put the musicians in their holy attire. And what did they start doing? They started to sing. Could you imagine the people looking at that thinking, Look at these people coming at us. They got the choir in the front. Like, no, nothing to fight with. But they have them to do that. Because God loves that. And God works in such an amazing way. And it says of God that went on, and, and he destroyed them. And it took, what, three days for the spoil. And then what happens, and I love what it says in verse 27. And they returned to Jerusalem with joy. For the Lord had made them to rejoice over their enemies. 
They came to Jerusalem with harps and lyres and trumpets to the house of the Lord. And the dread of God was in all the kingdom and the lands around. And when they heard that the Lord had fought against the enemies of Israel, that the kingdom of Jehoshaphat was at peace. Was at peace. I just want to close and ask you a couple questions. Here's what I want to ask you. We all go through struggles. But do we turn it over to God? People come into the church office sometime and they'll say this. Pastor Doug, we've been to the doctors. You know, we went to the natural path. We went to this. We tried this. We tried this. And nothing worked. And we just thought kind of as a last resort, we'd ask God. Let me tell you something. God never wants to be the last resort. Do we turn to God? The second thing is we don't need to live in fear. Some of us here, you know what? We live in fear. And, and, and you know what? We can't do anything. Why? Because of fear. And it captivates us and it can destroy us. And we don't need to live in fear. Why? Because God's taken away the fear. And we can rest assured in Him. Some of you are here today and you know what? You're in the middle of the battle. You're in the middle of the battle and you're fighting a battle you shouldn't fight. And God should be fighting the battle. My daughter was in a, a relationship with someone that, you know what? It was not right. My wife and I prayed for a year. I wrestled with that. I rest. I pray I would give it to God and I'd take it back. I'd take it back. I'd say, God, let me just tell you what to do. Just, you know, I, I'll tell you what to do. Take the guy out. Like, that's all it is. Like, it's pretty simple what to do. And then I'd give it back to God. I'd take it back. I'd give it back to God. I'd say, God, I'd say to my wife, God's not doing anything. And you know what? After a year, when we finally gave it over, that God worked in the most amazing way. And you know what? He just did the most amazing thing. And I thank God. And sometimes he doesn't do it the way I want him to do it. Sometimes it doesn't look the way I would maybe do it. But God is in control. But some of us are here today, and you know what? You're fighting the battle. And God will never step in, and God will never fight the battle when you're in the middle of it. Maybe you need to stand by and say, you know what? I just see the power of God. And we need to do that. If you want peace, they had peace. Why? Because God was in control. And when God's in control, you know what? We can have peace. I've talked to people who've gone through some of the worst storms in life. And they just have a peace. And sometimes I shake my head and say, I don't understand how you can have a peace when all that's going on. When all these things are happening, how you can have peace. But they have peace with God. And God gives an amazing peace that we have. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for today. I thank you, God, that you're still in control. I thank you that you're the same yesterday, today, and forever. And I thank you for the promises of God that we are your children, that you care for us and you look after us every day. And God, I know in this world that we, we see evil, we see the results of sin, we see death and disease and sickness, we see heartache, we see broken families, we see many things that take place. And God, we're not exempt from that. But God, as a believer in Jesus Christ, we have you. And with you on our side, we're always on the winning side. God, I just thank you that you prepared a place for us, that one day we will go and be home with you. But until we go home, Lord, I pray that we would trust you. God, I just pray for the folks here. There's some that are going through some very difficult and challenging times. I know Pastor Steve is just, you know, going through a difficult and challenging time, and I thank you so much for his trust and his faith in you. And God, may we always remember that we don't need to fight these fights. God, we need to stand by and see the salvation of our Lord. God, just help us to move when you want us to move. 
to do what you want us to do, but, but many times just to turn it over to you. God, sometimes that's hard just to trust. But I just thank you for that. I thank you for the folks here at Wyoming Baptist Church. I pray you'll continue to bless them. May they be a light in our community. And I just thank you for our relationship we can have with you. In your name, amen.